Welcome to Two Priests Talking, a podcast where two priests sit down to have a conversation about our current cultural moment and how we might engage with what is happening in the world around us as faithful Christians. Greetings, I'm Father Aaron Wright, the rector at Old North Abbey Anglican Church here in Knoxville, Tennessee. I am one of the two priests talking, and we're hoping to bring you conversations about reasonable faith in what seems to be less than reasonable times. I'm the second priest of Two Priests Talking, Father Nick Hamilton, the associate rector here at Old North Abbey, and we are literally two priests talking. just through the system and you, we are recording we were, father aaron right that was that was live at two priests talking we're not studios. gonna put that on there i don't know you never know what i'm gonna do when i get into the studio and start cutting the mix up <laughs> um but hello father aaron how are you i'm doing well uh it's been it's been a pretty good week yeah yeah that's good. I mean, it just started, but I mean, since we last recorded here at the studios. Yeah, it um, has been a good week. I think it's great that we have a sign up now in the studio. Yeah. What does our sign say? It says uh, Katie and Brenna. Katie and Brenna. Thank you. But then for we it. also have the other one that says Hamilton Wright 2020. Hamilton Wright 2020. This is the election week, but and we are going to talk about what does it look like for us as Christians mm -hmm. to engage with politics faithfully, right. but we're not going to go there just yet. No, I want to say something that's even more important. Sure. I want to hear it. There's something that's actually more important than the election right now. What is that? And it is the beauty of this maple tree mm. right outside of our window. Really that is, is the most vivid every year. This tree on old North Abbey's uh, parish lawn just it's just so incredibly vibrant red orange speckle of green it's it's unlike any it's maybe the most beautiful color i see on any tree year round it's a very pretty tree and people take such good pictures of it it yeah it's fantastic yeah we had a parishioner take a lovely picture of it behind our sign and post it up on our facebook that was very nice it's very kind. it's a beautiful tree and i, I like trees in that <clears throat> excuse me one of the things that they remind me of is the reality of how young I am mm -hmm. and this fact that the world has been around for quite a while and the seasons have been changing for quite some time. And you know, it's fascinating. They haven't stopped. It keeps happening. Fall, winter, spring, summer, fall, Advent, you know, you start going through the church calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question for you, though. Yeah, man. Like during the Ice Age, mm. was that, I mean, was the whole world covered in ice, or was it just 
you know, portions of it were more covered in ice. That's Did the seasons s- keep going during the ice age? I f- will have to find have no that idea. out, you know. We'll have to talk to Aslan about that. <laughs> no? Not not gonna not gonna bite on the Narnia joke. I'm not gonna bite on the Narnia joke. When it was always winter and never Christmas. Maybe that was the ice age. Maybe that was the ice age. Hey, can I tell you something? Yes. I got a text from somebody yesterday. What did it say? It said blessings on this one year anniversary of your ordination to the priesthood. It was from Archbishop Foley. Oh, great. Yeah. It made me feel quite special. I forgot you even got ordained. (laughs) It's been so long, right? You know, we actually (laughs) talked about that before. So yeah, congratulations on being um, one year, a priest. It was yesterday, right? Yeah. Yesterday was the anniversary. So I'm out of my rookie season. Yeah, I mean, you're in the second year of your contract. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm looking forward to where we go from here. Um, they say that oftentimes that you make your greatest um, improvement from year one to year two. Yeah. In and, football. In football. Or in basketball. Do you think Maybe that... Maybe it's the same with the priesthood. <laughs> Maybe it's the same. Who knows? Uh, it's definitely a humbling thing to think about, a whole year. And I think even as we move into uh, another episode of this podcast. We're thankful to all of you for listening and that's humbling. And we, again, we hope that this is helpful in some way, shape or form. We recognize that we don't have all the answers, but we know who does. And we're just trying to faithfully process through (laughs) that made father Aaron laugh, faithfully process through. How do we engage? I just want you to like, when you say something like that, when you say we don't have all the answers, but we know who does. Yeah. Like, I just feel like you're Tim Tebowing. I feel like you should, like, point up to the sky and, like, look Take up. Take a knee? Yeah. Get, like, a sort of a Thomas Kincaid, like, mm. look to the room. You don't like that saying, though? No, I don't. This is just going to be a really difficult conversation today. Well, I want to thank you guys for joining us today on Two Priests Talking. <laughs> we don't know who holds the future. I mean, we don't hold the future, or we don't, you know, but we know who does. We know feels, who does. It feels so, uh, I just want to, whenever you say that, like, I feel like you need to have the picture of Jesus knocking on the door, that picture behind Behold, you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Yeah, that little picture behind you. Amen. No, it, you're, you're, you're right in saying. We do. We, we know who has the answers. We don't have the answers. No, we don't have the answers. And so if you've actually been coming here looking for them, we're really sorry. (laughs) We're just having fun. We are having fun. And I think we're trying to have fun within the context of Anglicanism. I think one of the things, Father Aaron, that you and I have been chatting about off and on is this three-legged stool that Anglicans sit on, if you will, scripture, tradition, reason. We're hopefully engaging reasonably with the world around us, faithfully as Christians, looking at how the church has dealt with these things throughout the years, as well as how does scripture uh, inform us. And I think that Father Aaron's really struggling to hold it together today. And I think that when we move into, you didn't like the three-legged stool, did you? I just, I have to interrupt you. Yeah. I grew up in a neighborhood with a three-legged dog Mm. and his name was Joe and he was a little obese. Yeah. And he would chase me. Yeah. And all I had to do was cut one direction really quick. Would he tumble? Oh, he couldn't hold himself up. Front or back leg? Oh, he was missing a front leg. He Mm. couldn't make that really pivotal, pivotal, pivotal cut. Yeah. To stick with me. And so when you said three-legged stool, I just felt like it's so easily 
top <laughs> it can just like fall over it doesn't sound like i don't want to be anglican now sure i'm just hanging on to three i want four well and that you're you'd be in good company john wesley also thought the wesley same thing he was like we got to throw experience into the mix yeah. you know but but i think you know as we get ready to talk about fun. politics you keep derailing me today <clears throat> uh it's a tough it's a tough issue in a lot of ways i think it's a place where we have consistently experienced a lot of polarization a lot of anger a lot of frustration and we want to talk about some of that mm-hmm. and you know how should we actually respond as christians right and i think we've got a good episode coming up speak for yourself uh but no we do i think uh, well we'll have to see what people do with it um but i think I think you're right. I think, you know, every every four years in the United States of America, we quote unquote pick a leader yeah. for ourselves. And so Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy Amen. with our decision making. Um but we do. We pick every four years we pick a leader and that's coming up. If you didn't know that, I don't know what rock you're living under, but it's been It's probably a super nice rock if you didn't know that. <laughs> it's a great rock. <laughs> I want I want to come hang out yeah, and have awesome. tea with you. Yeah. Yes introduce us to that rock but um it is difficult and i have found over the years um and we've talked about this that it's becoming more and more divisive for the church yeah every political season seems to be more and more christians pitting themselves against each other instead Mm. of being unified um not at the booth but just in spirit with one another yeah that's the most discouraging thing well, and it comes back to some of the things that we've discussed here already in terms of the polarization that exists in our nation and within the church that really is the result of media and social media and a lack of careful, measured thinking. And I would say most importantly, forgetting who is in charge, like forgetting that God is God, Yeah, you know, uh, this reality that God has not been moved from his throne. And you and I were chatting earlier about how, to some degree, it would be nice if the election season happened during Lent, (laughs) you know, because we would enter in on Ash Wednesday and then maybe a week later, you know, the election, but you'd be voting from this position of remembering that you're dust and to dust you will return. Placing, Placing something like the election in context feels so important. Yeah. No, I think I think you're right. I we were also tinkering with the idea of it being it's it feels advential. Yeah, sure. Is that the word? I don't think it that's adv- adventish, advential. Yeah. yeah. Like it fits um, in advent. Yeah, in some ways too, because it it feels like the way we've treated it, not that this is the reality. Sure. But the way we've treated it as Americans as is that the there's this long waiting till the election day then your quote-unquote leader wins. It's like kind of like a Christmas thing. Mm. And then Inauguration Day is kind of like Ascension, mm. you know. And But it both of them are preparatory seasons. Yeah. I mean, both of these seasons are seasons for prayer, Lent and Advent. Mm-hmm. So we can be prayerful about the election. Yeah. But I don't necessarily want to give it too much credence in my life. Sure, and I think that's some of where we want to go today. I think you asked an interesting question 
a while ago, um, you know, how much are we invested in this? And the, the follow-up question, which I like, is what are the eternal consequences of this election? And I don't, I don't know if you want to step into that and even unpack that, but what does it look like for Christians to invest themselves in an election, um, know, knowing ultimately who is king? Well, it's, that's, the, that's the real issue um, in terms of, I mean, I've struggled over the years. I've been very open about this. Um, I have become less and less invested in American politics. I used to be really invested in it. Mm. I mean, I used to be super, super invested in politics. Mm. And I felt that politics was the main sphere by which, in some ways, I felt like the politics, politics was the main sphere of which um, I was able to work for good in the world. But I found it's interesting for me, and I mean, I'm just sharing this from my perspective. It can be different for other people. Is that as my ecclesiology became higher, I used to have a pretty low ecclesiology. And before you go any further, for those listening, unpack the word ecclesiology. Help us understand what sure. you mean by that. Ecclesiology term. is how much you think how how much you you think zebras are cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, it has to do with ecclesiology is from the word ecclesia. So what do you believe about the church, the called out ones, the holy ones? If you have a low ecclesiology, you don't view the church as being really this essential entity. And and, and I don't I don't I'm going to speak broadly. very broadly. Yeah, that you have a low understanding of the church. The church is just a place that maybe I get to go to, you know. And it's not really important for my salvation or for my life and things like that. Mm-hmm. When I had a low ecclesiology, I found that my political understanding was super elevated. Mm-hmm. Like I believe politics were super, super, super important. And I'm not saying this is for everybody. Sure. Right? But as my ecclesiology has gone up and I've seen the church as the church as the primary entity by which the world is restored mm. through by Christ, right? Uh, my understanding of the political powers of this world has become increasingly smaller. Hmm. Um, you know, I, and there's that, so I, I, I don't know if it's going to be super imbalanced as I keep going because my ecclesiology continues to get higher and higher. Hmm. Um, the more I read scripture, the more I worship with these people here, the more I'm invested in uh, a global church I just see politics, even though I think they play a role, um, not being as important to me as they used to be. Interesting. Do you, could I ask this question? Do you feel like when your ecclesiology was low, your sense of your own individual need to be engaged was higher? One of the, one of the things I sense is my ecclesiology is my understanding of the importance of both the people of God, the church, uh, grows. It's not that I, I personally diminish, but I recognize that my interaction with the world takes place within the context of the people of God as, as well as by myself. But 
I exist within the people of God now as someone who's called out alongside my brothers and sisters. So when your ecclesiology was lower, did you feel like you had a maybe greater self-importance or? Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. Because I think when I have a low ecclesiology, this isn't even on our talking board. Mm, This is fun though. Um, my low ecclesiology at that point in time probably put more of the emphasis on me. Mm-hmm. I became really important. Sure. And it was just something that was just between God and I, mm. which is just not true. Mm. You know, I'm part of a, a much bigger thing. I'm sort of a minion of a much bigger thing, which I gladly receive that. Yeah. Um, Every part of the body sure. is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. But yes. I, I happen to be an ingrown toenail. Yes. You got rid of the ingrown toenail. Yeah, it's fine now. We don't need to go back there. Praise the Lord. But yeah, I think that's a fascinating thing. And it's actually a part of, and it's important for us to keep ourselves within the framework of kind of our historical context. But I mean, the, the enlightenment, rationalism the emphasis on the individual, the idea that as each individual, we have to come to this place where we are accomplishing our own greatest, uh, what would the word be where we're adding the most value that we can to the whole as an individual, where we are achieving our potential. All of those kind of thought processes are in the background as this background hum, even when we think about democracy, you know, this idea that we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, that as a nation, we, uh, you know, have kind of created ourselves, all of that fits into our identity as people who are Americans. And all of that kind of comes to the table as we engage with the democratic process of voting. And I think that it's fascinating because much of that is at odds with what we see in scripture. And we don't typically think about that. We don't think about this idea that we cease to exist, if you will, as we are subsumed in Christ, you know, that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. Now we still need to faithfully interact with the world around us as the individuals that we are, but there's this sense that to some degree or another, much of what is this background hum in our understanding of who we are as Americans is actually at odds with some of what scripture teaches us about who we are in Christ. Yeah. And this is not to say, this is not to compare the two, but there's this, that, that moment when they're replacing Judas. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Unpack that. I'm, I want to hear I think this. it's hysterical. Like how would we do that now? Mm-hmm. Well, we, we've become so, uh, democratized which is actually a word, by the way. Mm. Maybe not advential, but democratized, we've got. Yeah, I read a book called The Democratization of American Christianity once. Mm. It's pretty intriguing. Mm. But we have, uh, we have brought in something that's not necessarily a biblical concept. Mm. It's not bad. I'm not saying democracy is bad. Like, no. Don't hear me that way. I'm like, grateful to live where we live. Sure, I'm very absolutely. thankful. I'm yeah. glad that we get a voice, right? Yeah. But there's that moment where it's like they have all the apostles together and they're like, well, how are we going to, how are we going to pick, you know, let's, let's draw straws. For yeah, exactly. Let's cast lots. Let's yeah. draw straws. Let's do it. And, uh, ends up being Matthias, right? Right. Funny story to me. Like we couldn't, we wouldn't, I mean, that would be hard for us to do now. 
super hard because even though we pay lip service to the sovereignty of God, I don't know that we trust that God's in charge. No, we don't. <laughs> uh, and, and I think I think that that's a fascinating aspect to this election. So yeah, so that's coming back to that question you asked. We've actually become very invested in this from a cultural perspective, right? Almost like it is the main thing because part of it is we do feel like we have a voice and, and we do God's yeah. God's chosen in some ways to use our democracy. Sure. Right? Sure. I mean, but well, I was, I had a friend the other day who said, um, was telling me, he asked me a question. He's like, do you think my vote matters? And I said, well, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and not in a mean way, but just like you're in Tennessee. I don't know who you're going to vote for, but it probably won't matter. But I know we tend matters. to go red in Tennessee. We did. We do tend to go red in Tennessee. Well, I don't know what we'll do this time. I have no idea. Sure. I'm not paying attention to the polls. Um, for all, for all you uh, Republicans out there, I do want to say there is another pro-life candidate on the ticket. And his name's Kanye West. Just throwing that out there. Just mixing things up. I, he is. He is. He is a pro-life candidate. <laughs> I thought I might get a laugh out of Father Aaron. I didn't get. I didn't get a laugh out. Well, of I didn't. Father I was. Aaron. Well, I was going to do is I was going to start. Were you going to rap Jesus walks? I was going to. Yeah. I decided not to. God show us the way, because the devil's trying to make us pay. Boom. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today on Two Priests Talking. Let's pray. Um, to go to go back to where you were though. Sorry. This idea of your friend asking, I derailed you. If his vote matters. No, no, but we we are so invested in it. Yeah. To the point to where it's it's kind of annoying me. Mm-hmm. Like, Why does it annoy you? I'm just I'm tired of seeing all the I voted stickers being posted. Well, I heard that that's media. like a social media life hack. If you post the picture after you vote, your vote counts twice. Really? Yeah. So, boom. For those of you listening, make sure you post that picture on social media. You get twice, <laughs> twice the votes. Yeah, I don't. Ca- I mean, I just don't care. I mean, and I, I, I say this. Look, I, I mean, I, I lean forward in my seat and I'm looking at you square in the eye, so you understand that I'm not trying to be a jerk. Um, but I don't care. Uh, I'm not in a. In a I, I, I'm, I'm glad for you. Sure. If you voted, that's fantastic. Um, but I don't. I don't care if you vote. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, I, and think- I don't care who you voted for in some ways. I, I don't, it doesn't. And this is the thing because I don't, I think one of the things that's happened yeah. culturally is we've become too invested, too, way too invested in the political process. Right. Especially from the church perspective. Now people are going to disagree with me on that. Yeah. And people will probably post something and say, Oh, you know, these guys don't care. We could get canceled. We could get canceled, but, but I think we have become too invested in the political process. Well, and I think that it would be important to unpack that some, I don't disagree. I think that we have made the election a matter of eternal consequence. We have when we actually know who is King, you know, we live and we've talked about this here. We live in this time between, right? We live between the inauguration of God's kingdom at the resurrection and ascension of Christ, and we are awaiting his return 
when all things will be put to rights. Yet in the meantime, it feels like, and I think to go back to some of what we've talked about in terms of the polarization that media and social media creates, we've made every election an issue of good and evil. And we've bought into this idea that if we talked about this a few weeks ago, if Biden is elected, it's the end of the world. And if Trump is elected, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the world again. Right. Catastrophe on either side. And there are good faithful Christians on both sides of the spectrum, I believe, who honestly know Christ as their Lord and Savior, who who have bought into this idea that should one or the other be elected, catastrophe. It's right? a catastrophe. I, I was responding only in private uh, to someone who I respect, um, who said something to the effect of, I mean, it, it, I, a vote for Biden is a vote for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right. And I just, because I'm, I'm not on social media a lot. Yeah. But this popped up and I was like, oh, this is so interesting. I want to talk with you. Because a lot of times, like I said last week, we always have stuff to talk about because people <laughs> give, us, give us things to talk about. Sure. I just kind of said, do you really believe that? Like, do you really believe that a vote for Biden is a vote for Jesus that, that paints him in messianic light. It means Biden is sort of messianic in a way. Mm-hmm. An anointed one. An anointed kind of leader right? who can save us from, in their personal opinion, from this really dark time. Mm-hmm. But there's people on the other side. Right. right? Clearly. <laughs> who, who would say that a vote for Trump is a vote for Jesus. Right. And this is the issue of the good and the evil. Right. Where we have, and Jonathan Haidt talks about this in his book, The Coddling of the American Mind, him and Greg Lukianoff. Uh, go and read it. It's a fantastic book. Um, but it is a great untruth, he would say. This mm-hmm. idea that there's good people and bad people mm-hmm. and that those are the only two sides. And then if that group wins, and we, we talked about this, mm-hmm. no one ever views themselves as the bad guy. Right. Everybody's always the good guy. The other guy is always the bad guy. And if they win, then evil has, tr- has like Trump, <laughs> evil has trumped good. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And that's the the thing we've created through our political slash media two party system in some way. Right. And we split the church in two. And and we've seen this sadly in the the debates too. The debates aren't about politics. They aren't about substantive policy changes. They really are far more about well, look at what he's done or look at what he's done or look at his son or look at how he's done this. It's that finger pointing and it's a fascinating spot for our discourse to be in. And one of the things that I think we need to acknowledge as the church, and this is hard to say in a lot of ways, but the church is easily co-opted we actually fall prey far more easily to the lies of this world than I think we should. And as a result, we have this tendency to be weaponized ourselves and to weaponize Jesus against others. So, you know, you said a vote for Biden, your, your friend or posted a vote for Biden is a vote for Jesus. And clearly there's a whole slew of people who would say a vote for Trump is a vote for Jesus. 
And I think that we have to call that exactly what it is. And that's false, patently false, because there is nuance in the world and Jesus is already king. We don't need to vote Jesus onto the throne. He himself is on the throne. He's vindicate. God has vindicated Christ through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. Well, we already voted for Jesus when, oh. we, when we said crucify him. Oof. That's our vote. Yeah. I'm so, I hate to break it to people. Sure. But society already voted, and we put him on a throne, and mm-hmm. his throne was a cross. Mm-hmm. And that's where the king proclaimed his rule and reign. Mm. And people don't want to hear that's We've already voted. Mm-hmm. For the king of the world, when yeah. we yelled out, crucify him. Sure. Now, there's a couple of people who probably got that right. I like to think that Bartimaeus, by the side of the road, got it right. Blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus followed Jesus down the way. And then the woman, um, I think, with the issue of blood or the one yeah, who touched his, yeah, the one who touched his, his hymn. And followed him through the crowd, yeah. Yeah, those are the ones who, who get it right. Everybody else voted this, I mean, that's, so we've already, our vote's already been given as humanity mm. and God's restored our vote. You know, we've already cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Yeah. So we've already, you know, as humanity, we've already picked, we've already picked another way. Yeah. We picked Barabbas, we crucified Jesus. Yeah. Which Barabbas means son of God, which is awesome. Hmm. So we've already picked the wrong one mm-hmm. and we'll always pick the, we'll always pick the quote unquote, pick the wrong one. Sure. But Jesus is, Jesus is the one who we've already voted for in some ways. Right. In this ironic twist. Right. 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 Um, well, and I, th- I think that's an important foundational element, right? We recognize who's King, uh, and we are awaiting his return in the meantime we have this tendency to fall, and, and I would use the word pray, we have this tendency to fall prey to this idea that unless X party is voted into the White House, then we have failed mm-hmm. as Christians mm-hmm. by not mobilizing or voting properly. And I think <clears throat> that when we look back to Scripture... Mm-hmm. that type of mentality is represented in a particular party uh, during Jesus' day, you, you know, and that was, to your point when we were talking earlier, the zealots. Yeah, we have to be really, yeah, being weaponized is, is, uh, is being like a zealot in some ways. Sure. Of course, everything that Jesus does has political overtones. Amen. Right. I mean, he, I mean... So in the time of Jesus, in Jesus's time, there were at least a minimum that we know of, of 24 different um, sects or groups of Jewish understanding leaderships, you know, ideas, parties per se. Mm -hmm. And all of them had a very different understanding of who Jesus or who the Messiah should be. Mm -hmm. They all had a different understanding of who Rome is, Mm -hmm. very different understanding of the nation of Israel, of the role of the temple, all these things. So this is not new. Right. Right. This is not new to humanity. Right. Um, The thing that's different now for them is that they didn't get a chance to vote. Mm. 
you know. Well, they could vote through violence. I mean, they they would vote through violence. You have the Maccabean revolts. You have all these opportunities to vote through violence. Right. But they they weren't necessarily picking Herod. Mm -hmm. You know, they weren't picking you know who the 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 emperor was of Rome. So all of these things are going on. But we have, as the church, unfortunately, uh, been fed uh, this idea that um, we can sort of bring about. And I think we don't. We would never say it this clearly, hmm. but we really think that through the political process, we can actually bring about um, God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, hmm. right? And we will fight for that in some ways. I mean, you may disagree. Well, I was going to ask a question. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. So is that a wrong way to act? And is that a wrong way to think? I think when we see it is mostly through the political process. Now, a lot of Christians would not, I don't think, like I said, I don't think any Christian would say the way you bring about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven is through the political process. Okay. I don't think we would ever say that. Christian Reconstructionists might. There are those people out yeah, there, there who would say that. But I do think that we we act in that way. Okay. Like, we believe that we are doing the ultimate good mm. through the political process. And as we have said many times, the difficulty with that is that both sides have something that has gospel flavor to it. And both sides have stuff that's not. Yeah. And God's kingdom is not... God's kingdom is not tainted in that way Mm -hmm. it's holy it's a holy thing and so if you're voting i i I tell people like vote if you you know if you feel led to vote and you feel led to vote for a particular person to vote just know that your vote will still be tainted in some ways Mm. because they're not going to hold up to the kingdom values that you hold to right um and you know, and I've heard, I mean, I've had a great conversations as of late with people who are very dear to me who would say they're voting for people solely on their political and policy making. I'm like, that's fine. I understand that. As opposed to character or yeah, other pieces. Ethical and character yeah. issues. Um, I think that becomes difficult for Christians too, because we've, we've played... Like we've played that card for a long time mm-hmm. about how important it is to have ethics and how important it is to have morals sure, in positions of power. And now there seems to be this sort of like leaving it. I think that's what frustrates a lot of people. Well, and that's a fair frustration. Sure. We were outraged at Bill Clinton sure. for his unfaithfulness sure. to his wife while mm-hmm. he was in office, right? Mm-hmm. As Christians, we condemned that wholeheartedly. I was, I mean, not not to say how old I am, but I was still pretty young at the time, but that was the reality of the situation. I remember watching that stuff in fascination and engaging with adults who were just morally outraged. But now we have a gentleman in office who divorced multiple times by his own voice has condoned his unfaithfulness Mm-hmm. And his pursuit of women outside of his own marriage relationship. Sure. But as Christians, and this is where people are justified in their frustration with us. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Christians, we've said it doesn't matter. It's Some about... Some Christians have said it doesn't matter. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Excuse me. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's the funny thing is I've, I've actually heard people say, well, it didn't happen in the White House. Ha! As if... That matters. As if the White House is... So, and this is the thing. Well, yeah. This is precisely the thing. The thing that we've done is we've tried to create... We've tried to paint it as a holy institution, almost as a temple. Mm. And if it happens inside that temple... <laughs> Right. Then it's wrong. Then it's it's wrong. It happens outside of that holy space. Yeah. There's not a whole lot. I don't know how much holiness has happened at 1600 Washington Avenue. I just don't know. Sure. And to be fair, like, I do not know the heart of our president. And I pray pray for him regularly. And my hope is honestly that the Lord would uh, meet him and that he would have an encounter with him and that there would be true repentance, right? I don't know the heart of our president, so I'm not condemning him in any way, shape, or form. Only the Lord judges. Right, and and the same with, with Joe Biden. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. If they I, could both just have an encounter with Jesus like Kanye did. <laughs> I'm having fun. <laughs> like Kanye, or like Paul, you know, I think yeah, yeah. we I'm, all, I'm, we I'm all, messing. right, we all want that encounter with the Lord. But I think that's a, that's a funny uh, way of putting it, you know, like we have created almost this uh, holy institution around the White House to some degree. And if just the right person could be placed in the White House, then we could we could do all the things that we need to do to our nation to make it exactly what it's meant to be. And so we have this kind of notion of what the U.S. is meant, to, quote unquote, meant to be. Yeah, this you no. Know, what you're saying is so interesting to me, because it we it has become a religion, mm. and particularly for people who and, and if you're in the church, I would say, like here what I'm getting ready to say, I think it's really important for those who are outside of the church, for those who do not know Christ, for those who do not adhere to a different kind of temple, mm. a different kind of Lord. It's it's what they see as their best option. Sure. For changing the world. For changing the world. Yeah. And for like, so it does become a holy thing. It it does become like a temple because these quote unquote Americans are my people. Mm-hmm. And the president is sort of like, I mean, we almost, we can paint them as sort of Messiah-like figures, right? Yeah. A vote for, a vote for Biden is a vote for God. Right. 100%. You know, that, that sort of thing, or a vote for Trump is a vote for God. Um, and I, and I get where I get how we arrive there, right? There are particular issues that we become concerned about that we see within scripture that each of these candidates we believe might address in a more Christ-like manner, Right. This, this is, I guess, how the church arrives at that same spot that sometimes those outside the church arrive at, too. Sure. Like, for those who aren't Christians, politics seems to be the way we change the world. But as Christians, we often get to that same spot. And it's because we look at issues like abortion or immigration or even debt, um, uh, you know, do we call it welfare? I mean, all of these things that we are to engage with and no candidate has the perfect Christian approach to each of them. Well, yeah, let me give you a perfect example. 
sure. of how I feel this works itself out. And I'm going to show my hand here a little bit. Um, on our board, we have the same thing that says no issue. There's no issue out there that isn't ethical to somebody, mm-hmm. right? So no matter what it is, even if it's the economy or something, everybody's issue is carrying an ethical, everybody's issue is carrying some sort of ethical dilemma for them, mm. right? So I am pro-life. Okay. Amen. I'm I pro-life. Um, now, you know who else is? God. Well, yes. <laughs> I have no problem saying that. Yeah. God is pro-life. Amen. Uh, that's why he made everything. Yeah. You know, I would like to do something very quickly on an episode of God is the ultimate materialist in a positive way that'd because be God made everything. Yeah, that'd be fascinating. God gave us tangibility. Yeah. He gave us material. Um, so back to the point. He instituted sacraments. Yes. We could keep going. <laughs> we yeah. keep we keep participating in them. Um, I'm pro-life. 100% I believe. Now there's going to be gaps in me, right? Sure. Because I get angry and I'm like, well, I'm just... Um, but that, that, that issue of pro-life to me, I always hear people say, well, that's, you're just pro-birth. And it's like, well, no, I'm not. Like, I don't really believe in war either. Mm-hmm. And I don't really, and I don't believe in like the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, if you're hearing this and you're like, well, I have an argument as to why you shouldn't. See, you're doing, that's the thing. It's like, that's what we do so quickly. Right. Is we're like, well, how can he be, you know. And, and so the issue is, is that you would have re- Republicans, mm. right? We'll just, let's both paint in really broad brushstrokes. Sure. Who would be pro-life from an abortion perspective. And you have Democrats who would be pro-life from a... Uh, um, Anti- death, death penalty perspective, yeah. right? And I go, see, this is the issue. This is the issue, is that, like, when we talk about that, right? So what happens is we end up sort of gravitating to one side only, mm-hmm. um, because we find more value in one of those, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, it would be very hard for me. This is why I struggle every four years. Because of the Olympics, because of the the, pres- pres- the presidential debate, the debate, the election, I just I struggle because that's what I see taking place mm-hmm. is one of the greatest tools of the enemy is that he he, he disperses good among evil. Yeah, he masquerades as an angel of light, yeah. as a creature of light, and and that's that's and he does it in order to sow division. And I think that that's a fascinating thing because we are divided mm-hmm. as the body of Christ. We're actually divided over these things. And we're divided in such a way that we forget what Scripture teaches. I mean, Paul addresses this, right? Uh, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female in Christ. Right. We could, we could contextualize that. There's can, neither but... Republican nor Democrat, you know, nor Independent. Whatever you want to say. See, the difficulty, yeah, I agree with you, but the difficulty, as soon as you said that, there's some people who are like, I don't know how you can be that and still call yourself a Christian. Because, and I think that this is that eternal consequence thing, we sometimes make this a gospel issue. Yeah. We make voting a gospel issue as if Paul wrote, you know, with the mouth one confesses 
and is justified and with the heart one believes and is saved and with the fingers one votes Republican and is sanctified. You know, it's like we make we make this it's a it's a form of syncretism. Sure. That we have totally ignored in our lives as Christians. We have created this syncretism where we say, unless you vote X, you can't be a Christian. Right. It's not in scripture. It's right. nowhere in scripture. No, 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 no. And, you know, and that's the thing is I'm, we're sitting up here in the old North Abbey balcony. I always look down there when I think of the people, mm. by the way. Um, it, it always saddens me to sit in an empty sanctuary. Yeah. Uh, our nave has been empty since March 15th. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to start moving back in. We've been meeting just out yeah, on the lawn. Out, Praise outside. the Lord. Yeah. Oh, it's been awesome. Yeah. Had the bishop visited this past week. So good. Thanks be to God. We have baptisms this week. Amen. All Saints Day. Confer- confirmations is, last week. Yeah, the Lord is the Lord is stirring up something. But um, when I think of this, whenever I look down over the sanctuary, I, I, I remember where people sit. Mm-hmm. And I know people have shared with me their political preferences. Mm-hmm. And... The thing I'll say about Old North, and this is how I think the church should be, is that we have people who here who disagree politically from one another, mm-hmm. but they're not divided. Right. That's the thing that we have to be careful of. Right. Because if we begin to weaponize our political identity, then then we turn against our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. We we we, uh, we can separate ourselves over something that is not eternal. Right. And I think we don't allow space as a result for holy conversations, conversations where we engage with those who we disagree with on temporal things, Mm -hmm. politics, but whom we agree with on eternal things, Christ as Lord. Mm -hmm. And we create this rift that shouldn't exist, Mm -hmm. that the enemy just laughs at us about. I think about Peter. Peter's one of my favorites. We were talking a lot about, you know, first Peter, but Peter's one of my favorites because he was like a mess. Yeah. I love how Paul, you know, this is like, Peter's been around for a while. He's like the rock on whom Jesus is building his church. And yet he's still afraid of the people, right? He's afraid of the circumcision party. And so he, at some point, you know, the circumcision party shows up, he quits eating with the uncircumcised. And Paul, like, I love how Paul says it too. I rebuked him to his face. You know, at at this point in time, this is like 10, 15 years after the ascension. Like Peter's been around, you know, uh, I think it's about 10 years afterward. And so he's still in process. He still hasn't figured it out. Paul's still in process. Paul still hasn't fully figured it out. We don't sometimes recognize that the apostles were in process till the day that they died or that they were martyred. And I think that's a beautiful thing. But Peter, and this is part of why I love him so much, constantly calls us to be sober-minded. Um, you know, in his first letter to the uh, to the Jews of the the Jewish believers of the dispersion, he says, "You know, be sober minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ." Mm-hmm. Like these are people who have experienced persecution. Mm-hmm. That's why they're dispersed, and 
have experienced tremendous suffering, who have no, no voice in what they're experiencing. And Peter tells him, be sober minded. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that we forget when it comes to politics, right? It's that reasonableness. Can we be sober minded in this moment in such a way that God is King? I am not. And that one day the grace that we will have at his return will be far more than we can possibly comprehend. Yeah. And later, I mean, I'm going to keep talking for a second. <laughs> later, I'm just, yeah, I'm later sorry. Trying. Well, later, later he says, you know, in, in that letter, he says, you know, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And then he says, in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. And then he says, always voting correctly for the appropriate candidate. Right. Right. Fascinating. No, he doesn't say that. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yeah. and do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That's not in the context of voting. We could we could pull that out of the context. Doing good means voting X. Sure. It's in the context of giving a defense for the hope that we have. Right. Right. No, and, and but this is the, yeah. No, you're spot on. But democracy's tricked us. Mm, sure. Unpack that. Democracy's tricked us to think that the hope lies within our own ability to make the right decision. Hmm. As a matter of fact, some politicians have even used hope <laughs> as their sure as their platform. And and I don't know that that's necessarily wrong. We just have to recognize that it's not. Well, there's a difference between a hope and the hope. Right. It's not. I was going to say <laughs> yeah. it's not the hope. Yeah. There's a difference between you know some hope, you know, and. Uh, and, and the hope. Right. Right. And, but democracy has tricked us. To, mm. And what it's done is it's, it's made us the... And we're not anti-democracy. We're not anti-democracy, no. But it's made us the, the bearers of our own... Well, it's made us think that we bear our future out through our own decision-making. And yeah. when people disagree with us, they become enemies. Right. Because they don't know what's best. Right. For ourselves. And this is that thing. And what we don't realize is in when we put all of our hope into democracy, all of our hope into our vote, all of our hope into our politicians, what we don't realize that we're saying in the same vein is that we have a needy and incapable God. Mm. <laughs> like God can't handle this. So he needs us. He needs us. There, I'm going on vacation next week. I want to push back on what you just said in a second. I'm getting ready to make my point. Yeah, finish. Yeah. yeah. So just don't ever interrupt me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Apologies. So I was uh. I was on vacation <laughs> last year, four years ago. I was, I'm going to Folly Beach, right? I was there four years ago for the election. Mm. I'll be there four years now for mm -hmm. the election. And I remember waking up that morning and going down and getting a cup of coffee. Mm. And I walked in. And there was a young lady who was serving me coffee and she had, her eyes were full of tears 
because Trump had won. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you doing okay today? You know? She goes, yeah, I just can't believe what's, I mean, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know, just give me a cup of coffee. No, I didn't say that. But I said, well, what do you mean? She's like, well, I don't know what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't believe this. I'm shocked and I don't know if, I don't know what I'm going to do. How am I going to, you know, and that's that thing, right? Where it's like, no, this hope, this hope that you're talking about is so far greater than what happens in a week from now. Mm-hmm. So far greater. Like our life will ultimately be okay. Yeah. You were going to push back on something. And I know what it was. Yeah, go ahead. You were thinking that I was sort of saying that we don't work for justice or something like that because well, well I think I think the the question and I think it's a good question that faithful Christians can ask is what does it look like for us to acknowledge the sovereignty of God sure and still work for and him. and still work with this choice you know that we've been given because we do live in a democracy you know like yeah I think well, we preached about this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, go ahead. Well, we talked about the Caesar. Give, mm. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God's what is God's. And in this moment, Jesus isn't trying to give us his tax plan. <laughs> right? He's not saying like, well, here's what you're going to do. If it's got Caesar's image on it, you should just give it to him. And if it's, he's not even answering really a question about taxes because mm-hmm. they're trying to trick him. They're trying to put him in a corner. And I think Jesus' response is so amazing because what, what he does is he reminds us of something. And it's this. What is not God's? Hmm. Right? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That is fine. But he's not also saying that Caesar just... I mean, at that point in time, everything was kind of Caesar's from a monetary land perspective, and at least his eyes, and Caesar's eyes at least. But he's calling our attention to give to God what is God's, mm. which is literally everything. Yeah. Everything is God's. Our kids get this right. You ask them, hey, what belongs to God? They go, everything. Mm. They don't go, well, whatever's not Caesar's, <laughs> you know. And that's that thing. We work under the reality that Christ is king. Mm-hmm. All of our decision-making is based out of this idea of Christ as king. Mm-hmm. And so if our politician loses, yeah, come next week, it's not an issue that, like, God... It's not that we voted wrong. It's not that we voted right. It's just that God's still king. Yeah. And Caesar will have what is his. But in all honesty, everything belongs to God. Mm. You know? Which brings me, you know, we talk, this comes back to that Isaiah 66 passage that I love, where it says, you know, the heavens are my throne and the earth is my footstool. Mm-hmm. So here's this image of God, like lounging back on the heavens, like he's got Jupiter under one arm, his head's leaning back on the sun, maybe he's got Saturn under the other arm. And he's, I mean, you imagine this, like the galaxies... He's like sitting on the Milky Way, mm-hmm. maybe. Reclined. He's reclined. Laid back. Laid back. The heavens are my throne. And the earth, the thing that you believe, is like the center of 
everything. Mm. Well, of course, Christ makes it the center of everything by coming here. But that's my footstool. Yeah. Like, I've got this, guys. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not like, I have not been thwarted by anything. No. I, I mean, that next verse, verse 2 of Isaiah 66, talking about all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I think, you know, if we know, if we know that the heavens are his throne and that the earth is his footstool, then humility is the only possible response. So we vote with humility, knowing that there isn't this perfect candidate yeah. who represents all yeah. that is Christ. Yeah. Uh, we engage with those we disagree with, with mm -hmm. humility, recognizing the brokenness in ourselves. And I think even going back to Peter, that's that, that sober mindedness, you know, the end of, he writes in chapter four, I, I want to close with this little doxology that he has here in a second, but he writes in chapter four of his first letter, the end of all things is at hand, mm -hmm. therefore be self-controlled and sober minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Mm -hmm. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Right. Like if I love you, but I disagree with you politically, my love should cover that. Sure. This is the practical aspect that I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. What are the practical things people can do in this political season to help them keep Christ at the center of their, I don't want to say worldview, whatever. Yeah. But where they can, and they can see that image of, of God reclining on the Milky Way with his foot on the earth. How can we, what are the practical pieces you think pastorally for people? Mm. Because that's what, that's where it, the rubber hits the road. That's where the rubber meets the road. Right. Well, um, you really put me on the spot. That's yeah. a good question. Well, then answer the question. Yeah. Father Nick. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think, I, I think, you know, and I'll lean on Peter here because I think it's appropriate, but I would spend some time asking the Lord where am I not being sober-minded? Mm -hmm. Where have I become drunk on a particular idea? Where have I allowed the world around me to deceive me in a particular way so that I have removed Christ from his appropriate position as Lord of all and placed myself in some sort of... Uh, quasi lordship position where if I don't do right, it's a gospel issue. Mm -hmm. um, we're called to live as Christ lived. That's true. We become like Christ the more we're with Christ. But I think, and after you've spent some time reflecting, and if the Lord hopefully answers the question, where am I not being sober-minded, I would encourage you to ask a dear friend, somebody really close, where they think you might not be sober-minded when it comes to the issues of politics. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think, I think, uh, I think having conversations with people you disagree with, I was going to say the, the quote unquote other. Yeah. The other, yeah. the, uh, the one who, uh, we typically catastrophize. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also think put a, put a face on your quote unquote enemy. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I also think this too is, is in worshiping communities, it's really important to be in a worshiping community. Mm -hmm. It's not, um, echo chambering politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really do think that's important. Oh, hands down. I think that if, Ooh, I'm going to say this out loud. If you're part of a church that's telling you how to vote, (laughs) if you're part of a church that's telling you how to vote, yeah, just spend some time asking the Lord, you know, is this where I need to be? I think that there's, there's an honest amount of reflection that needs to be engaged with. Now I will say there's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Unless you're at a church that has said Hamilton Wright 2020. (laughs) I think, you know, being part of a church that has a stance on things is important. That's important. Absolutely. Uh, And I think it's important for you to be able to ask your leadership, how do you feel about this issue and this issue? And they should be able to answer you, but they shouldn't. And I think that this is where it comes down to, hey, God is... God is sovereign. Ultimately, He is the Lord of Lords. I think. I think there is this issue of there are going to be good, godly Christians who vote differently from one another, uh, and God is not threatened by that. And I don't know. I, I'd have to sit with even what I just said. Now I'm. Now I'm sitting with what I just said. Well, we can sit here for a little bit longer. We could pause. Uh, but yeah, I, I. It's just a caution when there's a a one way only on a particular thing. Yeah. Well, this has been helpful. I've enjoyed this, uh, podcast today. Yeah. Uh, let let me close with this from Peter. And then can you send us out with a prayer? Yeah, I I can. And I'll do a blessing after that. This is from first Peter five. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 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 I think that's enough of a prayer. Okay. I'm going to let Peter's prayer be our prayer. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. You want to send us out? Sure. I would love to send us out. Um, I would like to go with the, uh, the blessing that we do uh, every Sunday. Um, I'm looking forward to being back here in two weeks because uh, we'll be gone on vacation in Folly Beach for the election, kicking back on the sand and not worrying about a thing. Amen. That'll Amen. be a good time. Yes. Receive this blessing. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost be with you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Aaron.
Thank you. Peace and blessings.